Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy talks about how you can use trials to refine you, as shown by the Apostle Peter's example. Enjoy the message. You're going to have a moment in life uh, where you have a fork in the road. You're going to have a moment in life where either your faith is going to excel and it's going to grow, or you're going to have a moment in life where your faith just kind of becomes stagnant and it begins to shrivel up and, 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 and maybe even functionally die. I hope that's none of us in here this morning. But I believe this. I believe this, that uh, in, um, when I was a junior in high school, uh, that is the first time that I would say I had a fork in the road in my faith. It was, a, it was a moment where my faith went from being my parents' faith to the faith of my own, that I took ownership of my faith. I came home from school, and I noticed that my dad was home, and that was, that was a little odd because my dad worked during the day. And uh, he said, hey, he met me at the door, and he said, Andy, I want you to come in and, and uh, meet with you and, and, and your mom. And I was like, okay. So I sat down, and I, I noticed that my mom had tears, and she had been crying. And, and, uh, and my dad immediately said, Andy, now we're about to tell you we don't want you to be worried or scared. Uh, let me just tell you, if you're going to say something hard and you preface it with that, you have all but guaranteed that they're going to be worried and scared, okay? You know, don't be scared, you know? And so, but um, what they went on to tell me is that my dad said, you know, we went to the doctor today, and your mom has found out that she has cancer, and she has colon cancer, and we don't, we, they think it may have been here the last five years, and uh, we don't know the extent of it, but it is serious enough to where she's going to have to get surgery tomorrow. And so that next day, my mom went into surgery. I went to school. I remember I was like sitting in chemistry and looking at the, you know, the, the little bubbles and just filling in the bubbles and stuff. But my mind was so elsewhere. I think I played more of like tic-tac-toe than I did filling in the bubbles. I don't know what I got on that grade. Uh, and it doesn't matter, really. Because when I got home, I immediately went to the hospital. And, um, you know, my family's like, oh, you know, she's not, your mom's not going to be with it. Your mom's going to be sedated. But I remember going in, and she made eye contact with me, and she said, oh, Andy, I'm so happy you're here. And, and she kind of drifted off. And, and I, whether she remembered that or not, it didn't matter. It just my heart was so there. My heart was worried. I didn't know what was going to happen in the future. Well, the surgery was successful. They got all the cancer out. They, but the cancer had moved into other areas so that she was going to be required to have chemo. And for those of you that have had family members that have had cancer or friends, you know, sometimes chemo is worse than the cancer, right? It's sometimes very necessary to eradicate the cancer in the body. And so my mom was going to have to go into a season of, of chemo. And so she began chemo. Um, they said, we don't think your hair is going to fall out. We don't think you're going to feel sick. She felt sick. She looked deathly ill. She lost all her hair. But it became apparent within about four months that the, the ills of chemo outweighed uh, the cancer that could have stayed there. And, and after four months, she began to get stronger, and so much so after a few years, she was declared cancer-free. But I, I would be lying to you during that moment when she had her first bout of cancer that I was not worried, right? I, I'd be lying to you if I said, oh, well, you know, everything's going to be fine because I'm a Christian, you know? Like, I, I'd be lying to you if I said, I'm just going to positive, encouraging Caleb it this morning. You know, like, like, seriously, like, those, those are good things, okay? I mean, we should be positive. We should, you know, Caleb's fine. I'm not dogging on it. But here's the deal. Sometimes we go around in life and, and, and we act like everything's okay when in reality, inside of our heart, we have a decision point to make. And this decision point is, is that we are going to grow through these trials or we are going to rely on ourselves, and we're going to shrivel up in our faith. And this morning, some of you are at that fork in the road moment, or some of you have just gotten out of that moment, or some of you are approaching it, and some of you are, have come out better, some of you are coming here and you are massively wounded. What is that fork in the road moment? 
What is that moment where your faith is either going to grow or your faith is going to shrivel? What is that moment you fear? Because no matter how much you prepare for the future, you can't guarantee what's going to happen in the future. And so for some of you, it might be financial. Some of you, it might be your children. Some of you, you you've been trying to break addiction. Some of you, you, you made a mistake years ago, and you're living the results of that mistake, or you're replaying it in your mind, and you just come in here wounded. The thing is this. Today, I'm going to give you a spoiler. Today, no matter what trial you face, every single trial, no matter what it is, is an opportunity to grow. It's a fuel to grow. And so we're going to be in First uh, Peter, and Peter is, is a great book, First Peter, uh, explaining us how we can grow. As we'll see in Scripture here in just a moment, some of us are waiting to have that guarantee before we say yes to Jesus. Some of us are waiting uh, for that guarantee to have everything worked out before you start obeying Jesus. But listen, no matter what you place your faith in this morning, whether you choose to place your faith in God or you choose to place your faith in something else or you choose to place your faith in what you call nothing else, you're still placing your faith in that decision. And Soren Kierkegaard, he's a philosopher that actually led my Bible prof to to the Lord um, through his writings. Um, Soren Kierkegaard says this. He points out that every decision we make will always require us to act not having a guarantee or knowing everything pertaining to the choice we're going to make. And so what he saw in, in, in his native country, what he saw in Europe uh, decades upon decades ago, was that many people were deferring their faith because they wanted to figure everything out about God before they placed their faith and trust in him. Now, I, I think there's, there's, there's great value, and we should know who God is, and we should know the doctrines of the faith. Uh, we, we should affirm and believe in the Trinity. We should affirm and believe that Jesus was born by the Virgin Mary. We, we should and affirm and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and there's only one way to salvation through him and what he did on the cross and his resurrection, right? Those are really, really important things. But what he was seeing was is that people in the churches in Europe, they were, they were going through these things, and they were never arriving at the decision point, should I place my faith in God? And he's like, listen... That's important, but there needs to be a point where you make a decision. And he was finding other followers of Christ who had made the decision, but yet they were trying to figure everything out, what it meant to be obedient to God, especially in areas where it's hard, right? And, and, and people were kind of deferring their obedience until they figured out, can I really do this thing? And what Soren Kierkegaard is saying is this. He, he came up with a term he called it the leap of faith. He said, there's going to be a point where you have to say, you know what, even though I have all these facts or whatever, I'm still going to have to take the leap. I'm still going to have to fall backwards and trust that God is going to catch me. And that's what our faith requires this morning. Our faith requires leaping. To be different, your faith must leap. In fact, that's what I want you to remember this morning. Faith leaps. Faith requires leaping. How many of you have done a trust fall before? How many? Anybody? Yeah, right? Trust falls. I did my first trust fall when I was a camp counselor. I worked at a camp a long time ago and, uh, in Michigan. And I remember I didn't know anybody on staff. And so, of course, they're like, we're going to go do a trust fall. So you guys all love each other. And I'm like, what in the world? Okay. So we went out in the woods and had this big platform. And at the platform, you stand at the back of it. And then you just fall backwards. And they're supposed to catch you, right? And so that's what we did. People fell backwards. You got caught. It creates trust. But the reason why it took an extra hour is because there's inevitably two, three, sometimes more people that don't trust that people are going to catch them. Even after seeing people catch people, they're like, I'm going to be that one that gets dropped, right? I'm going to be the one that gets dropped. And so, and so it just inevitably takes longer. But what happens, eventually everybody goes and everybody's caught. And what the, what the drill is to teach you is that even though you don't know these people, guess what happened? You entrusted your life with them and now you can trust the summer with them. Okay, 
That's why when you have all these corporate outings or church outings, the first thing you do, let's do a trust fall, all right? So, and I've only seen one person drop my whole life. So anyway, but it's a true story. So, ouch. All right, so, but the thing is this. Every single day of our life requires a trust fall with God. Every single day of our life requires a leap where we're going to fall backwards or we're going to jump forward and we know that, God, I know that you say you're faithful. God, I know these are the things that you say. God, I know these are the things, a part of your character, but guess what? There's just things in my mind that are preventing me from from grabbing on and gravitating these things fully. But guess what? I'm going to have to jump and I'm going to have to take the leap. And some of you today, all of us are taking the leap in something. But God wants us to have a faith that's different that requires leaping. Because I believe that the church in, in the Western world is especially has been weakened. Uh, that the church has been inebriated by people trying to control things themselves when in reality we just need to give it over to God. We need to trust him. So when you leap, we need to understand these three things. This is what we'll be talking about the remainder of our time. Your faith requires you to be different, to be different. Your faith will keep you from giving up. And finally, your faith's reality will be revealed during trials, during that trust fall. All right, let's take a look at the first one. Faith requires you to be different. Let's say that again, and let's just yell out be. Ready? Faith requires you to be different. Now, the reason why this is so important, the reason why I capitalize the letter B and the letter E is because sometimes we think that being is just knowing, or being is something that you know about how to be, but the thing is is that we fail to be. To be, you gotta do. To be is you gotta trust God and say, God, I'm gonna walk, and I'm going to be, right? And so Peter is going to talk to the early Christians, and we can learn from the early Christians. Everything in the Bible was written so that the church of all ages can know the will of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter starts off with an introduction because it's a letter. So he's going to introduce himself. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, those chosen living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter. Yes, that Peter. Peter, the disciple. Peter, they have cathedrals named after. Peter is writing this letter. Peter was a disciple of Christ. When Jesus Christ resurrected, he became the apostle Peter. Peter is often described before the resurrection of Christ as having uh, a lot of passion, uh, being fearful at times, Uh, being impulsive and having a temper. But after the resurrection, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, he was filled not just with passion, but courage. He did not shrink back. He went headlong into where eventually he was martyred for his faith. Peter, before the resurrection, his name was Simon. But when when Jesus resurrected, he renamed him Peter, which means the rock. Before Dwayne the Rock Johnson, there was Peter the Rock. And listen, He's standing on a rock that's stronger than muscles. He's standing on a rock that's a pun from the name of God. God calls himself the rock. Peter, the rock, the apostle. Peter never used his authority to prop himself up, but to use his calling to prop the church up. So Peter, he's writing to what we see here, exiles dispersed abroad. Uh, We see here later on there, chosen living as exiles. That word chosen is a name that is used for all followers. Today you are chosen. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you need to understand because of that word chosen, you have to realize the pursuing didn't start with you. The pursuing started with God. Before you ever wanted anything to do with God, he was on the prowl. He was pursuing you. Today, if you're running, I want you to know who could outrun you. God can outrun you. Listen, God, you don't think that you can outrun God and say, God, I'm gonna do my own thing. He will wear you 
down. They're chosen. They're chosen. But we also see here they were scattered. They were exiled. Other, other translations may call aliens or strangers. Uh, it, we, this is a huge topic in, in today's uh, modern-day conversation. And unfortunately, when it gets politicized, you lose the meaning here. But we have Christians here that were literally thrown out of Jerusalem, thrown out of their homes because of them being Christians. They are scattered now abroad, and now they're seen as different. They're not from around here. They're seen as odd. Because they aren't worshiping the gods of Rome and they're not Jewish. Who are these people? And they began to be uh, disparaged because, number one, the Jewish people didn't like them because they, they, they were blaspheming because they, they were Jesus followers. They called them Christians, which was a derogatory term. It meant little Christ. Look at those little Christ coming here. Oh, those little Christ, right? That, that, was not a, that was not a badge of honor. And then the Romans, they looked at it as treason because Jesus, in their mind, was higher than Caesar or higher than the emperor. In this case, in this time, it was Nero. They were scattered, they were persecuted, but they were walking to a different beat. You know, when I did my first ministry, I, uh, it was a youth ministry in the west side of Chicago. I'd have to take the subway down the L, down to the neighborhood in East Garfield Park. And um, you get to know people on the subway, but about six months into it, there was this guy that started coming in. He had headphones, and, and uh, he would just kind of be swaying and singing, and, and he'd, be, he'd be looking you in the eyes, but he wasn't really looking you in the eyes. He was just, he was just singing. He, we were his audience, I was, I was convinced. But he was like swaying and singing and drumming and walking and whatever to a different beat, right? He wasn't in my reality. And you see, when you are walking in Jesus, when, when you are following Jesus, you're following a whole different way of life. You're following a whole different way of thinking. You're going to be kind of that guy on the subway, okay? I'm not telling you that you have to purposely try to act odd or go buy clothes that are 20 years out of date or buy cassette tapes. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that no matter what, if you say that you believe in a God that is real, a God that died on the cross that resurrected from the dead, a God that gives you the Holy Spirit to live in you, listen, that's weird. But it's awesome. It's what we're made for. Right? So we walk to a different beat. And because we see here the original Christians, they were exiles. We're exiles too. This is not your home. At best, our homes are long-term hotels. I hope you like to stay. Right? <laughs> you know, our homes are, are long-term hotels, and we are in a waiting place for eternity. And so when people give you that look, and they say, you're different, be different. Now, this is not what I'm saying. Sometimes people hear this, especially if you grew up in the church world, it's like, okay, I'll be different. And, and, I'm gonna, and you go and start antagonizing people. Or you try to say that you're better than somebody because you know stuff in the Bible and they don't. Or, or, or you're somehow more moral than them, right? And here's the thing. That's not what I'm talking about. And people are like, I'm persecuted. I got the persecuted badge. All these people swarm me out. And I say, like, yeah, you're being an idiot, right? Like you brought it. There's no badge of honor of trying to make people mad at you. Listen, we don't export the wrath of God. We export the blessings of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called good news, not an indictment. God will bring the indictment later. That's his business. We need to bring the business of people being made right with God because somebody did that for us, right? So faith requires you to be different. Secondly, faith will keep you from giving up. Verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded. Everybody say guarded. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed to you in the last time. Peter reminds you that no matter what trials that you're facing this morning, is that 
if you're a follower of Christ, if, you, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a son and daughter of God. You have inheritance that, can, that can't be shaken, that can't be taken from you. You're being guarded for a salvation that will be revealed at the end of times, but it's a salvation that's lived out right now. It's a reality that salvation is lived out right now. And so no matter what, we, we notice that we have an inheritance that cannot be taken from you. We have an inheritance that's not going to be fading, an inheritance that's not going to be corrupt. It's an inheritance that's better than anything you could ever aspire in this life. Anything. Now, this is what ends up happening. You see, I believe that Peter's telling the people that are facing death. By the way, Nero, uh, the leader Nero, he was, a, he, was, he was a bad, 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 bad dude, all right? Uh, Nero, hmm. Nero was a man, a, an emperor, that killed his mom, killed his first wife, and many people believe killed his second wife. And then he went to say, hmm, I don't like Christians, so how about I burn my whole city down and blame it on him? And so subsequently, Christians who were already seen as weird, already persecuted socially, began to be persecuted physically. Instead of burning them at the stake, boiling them in oil, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, people like you and me, young and old alike, men and women, were killed simply because they said they follow Jesus. But yet, what we see time and time again through history, church history, through biblical history and history today, is when somebody tries to stamp out the light of Christ, it just gets brighter. It gets brighter. We see that in China today where they've outlawed unauthorized churches. But yet underground, there are churches popping up every single day. And what they wanted to keep in scale, it's blowing up to 200 million Christians. 200 million people that are following Christ that could be arrested on any given Sunday. We need to be different. But faith will keep you from giving up. Faith will keep you from giving up. So this is what happens. He's writing to these people that have lost everything. They could lose their lives. And he wants to remind them of the inheritance they have. But what happens? We so easily forget what we have. I, I believe that it, it is... It is natural for us to look at life and to say, and to look at the things we don't have. We look at the things that are, if the whole house is, is clean, we'll look at the attic that's messy and say the whole house is messy. You know, we, we, we tend to look at the lowest common denominator and situate our life around that. And what happens, I believe, inevitably when you have trials, when trials begin to push against your faith, uh, push against the differences of your faith, you, you know, you, you want to have faith that makes a difference, right? But you have an enemy that wants to push against the situations in your life to make your faith worthless, functionally at least. What happens is when we are facing hardships or trials, we inevitably begin to start comparing ourselves to other people. We cope by comparing and when we cope by comparing, we become a little bitter, don't we? I can't believe it. Why am I experiencing this, God? Why am I experiencing the loss of my job? Why am I experiencing the loss of my health? Why am I experiencing the loss of a family member? Why am I experiencing the loss of a relationship? Why am I experiencing the loss of a friendship? Why, why, why? You know what, God? Why isn't that person over there? They don't like you, right? They're, they don't believe you even exist. And they keep on getting the promotion. Or they keep on, their life just seems awesome. They have the smile on their face. Why are you doing this to your son and daughter? Why? And it's in those moments 
we take what we think is owed to us and we place it above what's already been given to us. And when we take what we think is owed to us and we put it over what we think is what's already been given to us in Christ, that thing becomes our God. That thing becomes what God should be serving. Listen, I want you to know this right now. Comparison is cancer. And it'll never lead you to be a person of joy. It'll never lead you to be a person on mission. It will kill you from the inside out. Comparison. That's how some of us cope. Some of us cope by just giving up. We give up. We simply... Just give up. You know, I believe in this room today, and all of us at one point, we've experienced trauma. Traumas is when you lose your emotional equilibrium, you're, tra- you're, you're, you're traumatized. And when you're traumatized, you just, you begin to give up in different ways. You either become more socially isolated, you don't want to talk to people, or you rely on addiction so that you feel better, or you, you return to that abusive relationship. Uh, you, you just you go back to what's familiar because if you don't know what's going to happen in the future, what you want to do then is you inevitably go back to what you know. And so if you're not coping by comparing, you'll cope by giving up. And by giving up, you're going to go back to what's familiar, what you knew that didn't work out, but at least you know it, right? That's why an abusive person, when they leave an abusive relationship, statistically, they go to even more of an abusive person, Right? It's, it's why when someone fights addiction, sometimes they replace addiction for another addiction. It's what they know. It's why some people overeat. It's why some people starve themselves. It's why people go on drinking binges. It's why some people just get suicidal. They give up. Because when things seem out of control, it's easy to take faith out from God being our object and putting the faith in ourselves and saying, I'm going to take care of this just so I can get some temporary relief. And in doing so, You try to normalize your trauma. When you normalize your trauma, what you're actually doing is bearing the power of the Holy Spirit to transform. If you normalize trauma, you're bearing the Holy Spirit's opportunity in your life to transform your situation. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying if you're being led by the Spirit, your situation may change. No, what he's giving you, though, is a resolve to get through it, a resolve to let God shine through whatever you're going through, whether there be a relief or not. But when we begin to normalize the trials, we abandon the pursuit of the unknown and we go back to what we know. We take comfort. Now, let's use Peter, for instance. He's a classic example of this. Peter, um, when, he, when, he was, uh, when he was growing up, I'm sure that he aspired to be a follower of a, of a rabbi. I mean, that was the number one idea for a kid under 12 was I want to be picked by a rabbi. And he wasn't. And the reason why we know that he wasn't picked was because he became a fisherman. He started a, uh, he, he started a business. And it, and it was probably a good business, but it wasn't what people really aspired to, what they really wanted. And so immediately when Jesus said, and he came by and he said, hey, you, I want you to follow me and make fishers of men, he left everything at once, right? Because he realized, oh my goodness, I thought I, this would never happen, and here's my lucky break. I'm taking this. And as he got to know who Jesus was, he realized that Jesus said that he was God, that he's the Messiah, that he was going to make all things new. But some things weren't really clicking with him. You see, if you were in Peter's shoes and and you met a guy and you realized that he's actually God, uh, you would think that if God was going to enter in humanity, how would he enter in? I know how he'd enter in in my mind. It'd be a cloudy day. The clouds would part. (laughs) Jesus would show up with a hammer in his hand and he would come down and he'd wipe out all the terror in the world and he'd say, I am God and and, and you follow me. That's what my God would do, right? He'd be a superhero. And I believe that's what Peter was saying too, right? Right? He was thinking, he was, he was looking more for the personified Thor, right? But the thing is, Jesus said this, 
It's necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief of priests and the scribes. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Jesus, no. You're the rabbi. You don't want to be rejected by them. Those are like the highest people in culture. But he goes on. Be killed and raised for the third day. No! You've come here to, you've come here to, to, to save the world and, to, and to, to let Israel free and to show who's boss. Get these Romans out of here. Get the people that, that, that don't really believe in you out of here. You, you, what? And time and time again, you see the disciples, they struggle when they're walking with Jesus. They're struggling with what his true intentions and purposes were. People never, uh, P- Peter never really fully understood the sufferings of Jesus until after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Peter would even fight Jesus when Jesus would, would say his intended mission. He even denied him. Jesus told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, Lord, no, I'll, I'll never deny you. Right? He goes, no, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. And he left the scene just before the crucifixion completely humiliated. Even when Jesus resurrected, when Jesus resurrected, that didn't solve things. Like he was excited. We read in the scriptures, he's excited. Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit on him. He's like, I mean, it's, it's an awesome thing. But yet Jesus, he, he appeared to over 500 witnesses over a course of many days. Peter's like, this isn't still going to plan. I don't get it. So you know what he did? In the trauma of not understanding, he went back to the familiar. He got the disciples together and he said, hey guys, what? Let's go do something familiar. Let's go fishing. And so he goes back to his old job. Now, I want you to understand just the, the craziness of this, is that Peter, who he thought his calling in life after being rejected was a fisherman, Jesus calls him to make fishers of men. He walks with Jesus for years, and then Jesus dies and resurrected. As he says, Peter has a calling over his life, but because he's so confused about the situations and the future that lies ahead, he goes back to what wasn't his calling any longer. He goes back to what he knows, and he went fishing. John 21.4, when daybreak came, Jesus, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Wait, time out. Man, do you ever read scripture and you just, listen, you know something's up when you just read scripture. Like, wait, what? Like, sometimes we get so, like, we just know the, the story so much so we just blow through it. Oh, well, there's Jesus and they don't recognize him. Next. No, 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 wait. They walked with him for years. He did everything he said that he was going to do. He, he died, he resurrected, and there he is on the shore, and they're like, hey, who's that over there? That, that's Jesus, okay? Duh. Like, you guys should know that, right? But here's the thing. Don't miss this. Jesus is standing right in front of them, but they're so focused on taking control in their trauma and going back to their original calling, they can't see Jesus when they're right in front of their faces. Listen, we laugh at that because, like, oh, those silly disciples. But listen, I mean, I mean, Jesus, he rose from the dead. They still don't know who he is. Guess what? That's us sometimes, right? He's resurrected from the dead, and sometimes Jesus is right here. We read his word, or or we hear his truth, and he's right in front of our faces, and and we're like, who's that? Who? I don't think I know who's talking. It's because we're so busy placing our faith and listening to the things that aren't the calling over your life. Does that make sense? Jesus is standing at the shore, and they're saying, who? Who? And he's standing at the shore of our life. And sometimes we're saying, who? Because we're looking at the trials that are pushing against our faith. You get what I'm saying? Jesus is standing in front of you today when you read his Bible. When we open up his scripture. And he's calling out to us. And he's saying, trust him. Take that leap. 
in your faith. You see, this is what Jesus said. He said the key to trials is not trying to take back control or returning to the familiar. Jesus said this in Luke 9, 23. He said, if anybody wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. No, 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 listen to that. He's not saying let him rely on himself. He's saying let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. When trials come, we have to rely on the one who's in control. We have to rely on the one who died and resurrected for us and gives us life. We have to take up our cross daily, which means life sometimes is going to be very, very difficult. But the more and more you begin to follow, you put one step in front of the other, it's going to be harder and harder. But when you get your stride is when you realize that he's moving and you realize that he's in control, even when you don't know what's happening, even when you don't know what's going to come around the corner. When you get your stride and when people are like, they're different, like what in the world? In a good way. Like what? How could they be so joyful when life is like that? And and, and listen, it's not a fake joyful. People can sniff that out in a second. Like, how can they keep going? That is the be different that is a light to the world. It's the be different that will illuminate the darkest places. And it starts with remembering who we are. Look at verse 3. Look at this. Peter begins a long sentence, a long doxology. He's, it, it's a long praise. He says, listen, I'm going to praise Jesus because we have been born again. Listen, we were corpses in rigor mortis. We are spiritually just stuck and need a breath of life when we don't have God in our life. But when we place our faith and trust in him, that breath is breathed into us and we are given a new birth. And when you're given a new birth, you're a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. You're a son and daughter of God. He sees his righteousness upon you. And because of that, we see this, verse four, and into an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading in heaven for you. And you're being guarded by the power of God. This is your identity. This is what cannot be taken from you. This is yours for the taking. And the situations in life cannot rob you of it, cannot take away the light of it. Listen, your dark places you've been through, never, ever, ever squander those moments. Take those dark moments when you walk out of it and find somebody who's in a dark moment and illuminate them with the power and love of Jesus Christ. It was said this way, it was said this way, when you learn from our broken past, we can help those in their broken present. You see, the thing is, some of us are sitting here today and we feel like we're we're dying by a death of a thousand cuts in life. Well, we feel like our future is so uncertain. But no matter what, every single one of us in this room, we face a very uncertain future. But the certainty is, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have an inheritance that's unshakable. And you have influenced him unleashed in your life, as long as you have life, to usher and to allow people to see the blessings that somebody was spoken to your life, because that's why you're here today. Third thing. Faith is revealed during trials. Faith is revealed during trials. You need to leverage your trials. Leverage them. I'm not saying bring them. When people are like, oh, I just hope that bad things happen today. I'm like, you're delusional. I don't want that, right? <laughs> I, I want the day to be awesome and you know, pretty smooth sailing. I mean, that's normal, right? When people are like, oh, yes, adversity. I'm like, nah, nah, you're just saying that. Okay, so, <laughs> but when trials come, Leverage them, because no matter what trial you face, you can grow from them. Growth is around the corner if you don't place your faith in yourself, but you place in faith in the God who will get you through it. Verse 6, and all this you greatly rejoice, so now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Those who have come to that 
the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, what Peter's talking about here, he's like, okay, guys, your house has got burnt down, you had to move, and now Nero burnt Rome down, and now everybody's after you because they, you know, they're blaming you now for burning their houses down. Here's the deal. I don't know if you're going to live two weeks, but I know that this movement that God has put through you collectively is not going to be stamped out. Why? Because God told, uh, Jesus told Peter that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's a promise. It's a promise that they're like, I don't know how this, they're just seeing blaze of fire all in these neighborhoods. Like, how, uh, God, I, I, do I still trust you? Yes. And what he's saying is this, is whenever trial that you're facing in life, it's like the process of re being refined by gold. I don't know if you've ever seen gold be refined, but basically gold is when it's mined, it has a bunch of impurities in it. And when they actually put it through fire, the impurities are burnt off and it becomes pure. And the purer the gold, the bigger the carat. So 14 karat gold is about 50%. 24 karat gold is full gold, okay? And so when gold is pure, uh, when, when it's fully pure, it's, it's very valuable and it shines and it glistens. You can see it in the dark. Now, why is Peter bringing up the gold? Why does it have that glisten that you look at it? It's because this is what he's saying. Your faith, when it grows, and the end result of your faith is this. Something much more powerful and beautiful and worthwhile than gold. He's saying gold is it's, it's pretty, it's pretty valuable, and that's how you refine it. When, when, when you have a trial, you are being refined. The impurities, the things that are holding you back from, from going that level that God wants you to go, uh, holding you back from going that place or, or walking that, that distance where God wants you to go. He is literally taking these impurities off of you so that you can go places and be a person and, and hear God all the above. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been able to because he's doing the refining. This can be more valuable than gold. But you know what happens during the refining process? It's the fork in the road. We're gonna grow, or you're gonna shrink back. But before you make the decision that I'm gonna grow, or I'm gonna walk, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust him, I'm gonna shrink back, you have the reveal. You see, when you're, when you're refining gold, it's revealed how much impurity is in it, or you reveal what, what's truly there. And when you have that reveal, sometimes we get spooked, don't get spooked. But I want you this morning to allow God to reveal what is the condition of your faith. This reveal of what he's about to reveal to you now is gonna be pivotal in what you do at the fork in the road. You see, when we are refined by fire, when trials are refining us, this is what will be revealed. We see here in the, in the, in the text the genuineness of your faith, which means that your faith will either be genuine or your faith will be these three things. And this is a list uh, that's wonderfully articulated by Craig Rochelle. Number one is inherited faith. This is by far the majority of our faith in, in America. As people know about God because their parents or their grandma knew about God. And they assume if you go to church or if my parents went to church, I must be okay. I remember finding a card um, in, in, one, in my dresser when I was 10 years old and it said, congratulations on your new faith in baptism. and baptism. Well, I had a relationship with Jesus, so I'm like, oh, okay, a 10, you know, a kid's relationship, right? It was awesome, right? But I'm like, I was never baptized yet. I was confused. And then I looked at the dates in 1981. Well, that's the year I was born, right? So maybe that makes me old, so maybe that makes me really young, right? But 1981, I realized, wait, what? My parents never told me I was baptized as a kid, right? And the thing is, is that maybe you grew up in a tradition where you were baptized as a kid. 
And I believe that your parents are doing what they thought was best. But I believe that the intention behind a lot of different movements is that somehow we can, we can give our children faith. Somehow we can give them what we have. And listen, the Bible really affirms that we should influence our children and direct them the way that they should go. But every single one of us, no matter what, still has a personal responsibility that we're gonna place our faith and trust in Jesus and follow him. You can't make anybody do that. And so some of us today, we're just living off inherited faith. Well, I, I, I have a relationship with Jesus. Why? Well, my dad did. You make it your own, just as I did when I was a junior in high school. Second result that you may find during trials is it's conditional. Some of you may be in church today and you're here like, I'll worship, I'll read the Bible, I'll come to church every week, I'll give my time, talent, treasure. You know, I'm just, I'll do it all. I'll do it all. Why? Because I really want Jesus to do something else for me. And some of you here today, and some of us have done this, I've done this, where we use Jesus as one of the pieces on the chessboard to actually get to the thing that you want, which is the king. Jesus is not a piece on the chessboard. When we try to seek Jesus to get something else, we're gonna be so disappointed because Jesus is the greatest good we can have in our life. When we place something else above Jesus, we're gonna be so sorely disappointed because it's not the good that we're searching for. That's Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. Don't let your faith be conditional. Last thing is, you may find that your faith is shallow. Maybe you're a brand new believer. You've, you, just, you just placed your faith and trust in Jesus recently or maybe you've been a follower of Christ for years but you haven't been growing. Your faith is likened to when you plant a seed on a rock. Jesus explained this. And the roots can't go deep down because the rock's preventing it. And the moment the winds hit, it falls over or scorched by the sun. Jesus can do a deep work and let your roots grow deeper. We need to be growing as his people. We can't be growing if we're not feeding off his word. We can't grow if we're not talking to him in prayer. We can't grow if we're not committed to meeting together. But when we grow, he takes us places we've never been before. Never, ever, ever give up. You see, the thing I love about Peter, his story didn't end with him becoming a fisherman and, and not knowing who Jesus was. Jesus revealed himself on the shore. When Peter recognized it was Jesus, he got out of the boat and swam to him. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? And, and the Bible says Peter was grieved. I'm like, yes. God re again reconfirmed the calling over his life. And Peter Simon Peter, your name's on Peter, upon this rock, I'm gonna build my church. Well, when we impact God's word, we don't wanna just be somebody who knows the word. We wanna know the person of Jesus Christ. And you can't know Jesus just by knowing things about him. You need to know him personally. Do you have a relationship with Almighty God. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, he created you to have a relationship with him. Did you know that? He, you were wonderfully and fearfully made in your mother's womb. You were created to know God. The problem is we've sinned. We've done something wrong in our past, in our present, and undoubtedly in our future. And that sin separates us from Almighty God. You see, God requires perfection in heaven. And not one of us, including you, including myself, we're not perfect. And so sin separates us from Almighty God. And what people try to do is they try to get to God by religion. They try to get to God by doing good works or to prove themselves. But none of these things will get us to God. In fact, 
Our righteousness is but filthy rags, is what scripture says. And so it requires a miraculous, uh, a, a miraculous happening. And that miraculous happening is this. It's not ourselves. It's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You see, God came 2,000 years ago as the God-man, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place to take the punishment of our sin, to take on God's wrath. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. He stood in your place and God saw your sin upon Christ. And Jesus died on the cross. The wrath of God came upon Christ. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. Jesus Christ died for you. But because he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And his resurrection demands now our response. And the question is this, have you placed your full faith in Jesus Christ? Upon Jesus Christ, what he did for you. The Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ was risen from the dead, you will be saved. All those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, that means die spiritually, but have everlasting life. Have you personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus? If you're not sure or you know you haven't, right now is the time. You might think like, well, let me get things figured out first. No, let's, today's the day of your salvation, scripture says. That means that you come as you are, but Christ doesn't leave you as you are. He takes you where he is going. So why don't you just pray with me right now? Why, why don't you consider Jesus? Why don't you place your faith and trust in Jesus right now? Uh, this prayer that I'm about to pray isn't gonna save you. It's Christ who's already saved you. I'm just helping you communicate to God. So if you wanna place your faith and trust with Jesus right now, will you just pray along with me? Just say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've sinned and I realize I need a savior. So Lord Jesus, will, uh, will you save me? I place my full faith and trust upon you. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. Help me follow you now. I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus right now, the Bible says you have become a son or daughter of the king. You have been forgiven of your sins. And know this, that once you are held in the grip of God, Nothing can pluck you from his hand. Also know this, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, there's a party in heaven happening right now. Uh, when just one person gives their life to Jesus, the angels rejoice in heaven. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.